Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Everybody. My name is Vanya. I'm the Rom. And I'm Avrin, and I'm the crime. And this is Rom Crime. That's right. We take a rom com and we take a true crime and we pair it together like a fine wine. We mishmash it together. That's right. And this week, you guys, I'm really excited because so it's November, right? And it is mm-hmm. the beginning of the season of love. No, the season of giving, the season of of Thanksgiving, all the holidays, right? Once we hit Halloween, it's just like a nonstop party until New Year's Day. I know. This is when I'm like, Vanya, don't start eating the candy and then just never work out again. <laughs> and never stop eating the candy, which then turns into pie, which then turns into more pie. Yeah, it's like a, it's a thing. Exactly. And you know, you know what I do? Whiskey. Mm. I start drinking whiskey because I like, I like whiskey. It sounds like I'm a hardcore bitch, but you know, I like a nice uh, Manhattan and then they're a lot stronger than normal drinks. So then you just get used to drinking Manhattans. And then at some point in February, you're like, what have I done with my life? So (laughs) I'm going to try and avoid that. We'll see. But you know, tis the season. So for our first rom-com of November, and you guys, the ones we have planned this month, I am so freaking excited. Like next week is Son-in-Law. Holy crap. Oh, It's going to be I good. I love it so much. Mm, I love mm, it so mm, much. Mm, mm, mm. And again, I just want to say, if anybody has an idea, we have a couple in the queue of some of our uh, rom criminals who have sent us messages. Um, but please email us at romcrimepodcast at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram. Okay, so this week we're doing While You Were Sleeping. It came out in 1995, so pretty long, long time ago. I feel like it's like classic. Yes. For our generation and you know I feel like younger people are probably like what the hell is while you were sleeping but yeah didn't you say that they are yeah it's like if people if, I guess if people's parents still have cable sometimes it's on yeah it's like randomly on TBS or TNT same with like pretty woman when did you first watch it I probably saw it in let's see in 95 how old was I I was 13 I might have That's seen it in theaters. That's a good prime age for some Yeah, for some I might have seen it in theaters. Theory. Or if or if not, I probably saw it you know, within a couple of years of it coming out. But I might have seen that. I mean, 13. I was old enough to go to that one. Yeah, it's so good, you guys. Okay, I so- did see Speed in theaters, which came out before this. So if I saw Speed, then I'm pretty sure I saw While You Were Sleeping. And Speed is what <laughs> made our ingenue in this film famous oh, famous. so yeah. it is Sandra Bullock who I am seriously convinced that whatever she does is is great like she has such a vulnerability and such a a common you know 
I don't even know how to say it, but I just, she's like an every woman, every man, every yeah. person. She's like the female Tom Hanks. She really is. I, I would absolutely stand behind that comment. I really love her. I feel like when she does her talky cry thing, it makes me want to mm-hmm. cry. When she does her snorty laugh thing, it makes me love her more. So right. I see myself in her nerdiness and her maybe not so nerdy, but her like you know, dorky, dorkiness is what it is. So I love her. Anyways, so this movie starts off with Sandra Bullock, who's played by Lucy. Actually, it's a little girl and it's a flashback and it's her and her dad and her dad's talking to her. Now, unfortunately, her mom had passed away when she was just a little baby. And so all her life, it's always just been her and her dad. And she says, there are two things that I remember about my childhood. First, I remember being with my dad. He would get these far off looks in his eye and he would say, life doesn't always turn out the way you plan. I just wished I realized at the time he was talking about my life, (laughs) but that never stopped us from taking our adventures together. He would pack up our sometimes working car and he would tell me amazing stories about strange and exotic lands and they would travel not two strange and exotic lands, but they would talk about it. And her mom and him got married and she asked when he knew that he truly loved her mom. And he said, Lucy, your mother gave me a special gift. She gave me the world. But actually it was, and I think he meant her, but actually it was Mm -hmm. a globe, like one of those snow globes with a light in it. Oh, cute. And she said, but for the romantic that he was, it might as well have been the world. And then we learn about how Lucy found her love or her stalker, which is, (laughs) you know, we can debate that, but if you take away all the beautiful sweetness mm-hmm. and rom com Like all her beautiful cable knit sweaters. Oh, yes. You know, if you'd like take that out of it, this is basically a horror movie. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and take the mu- music out because all the music is all perfect 90s rom-com music. You know, it's just like, yeah. just makes you feel good. This was like the height of the rom-com. I feel like the early to mid 90s was like, they were just cranking them out and everybody wanted to be in the rom-coms. I agree. And that might be why I love them so much because it was sort of my up and coming, uh, coming of age. Right. But I, Your formative I years. Exactly. So we see her. She, her job now, she lives in Chicago. Um, she's working as a token taker <laughs> at the... A token taker. A token taker <laughs> at, in, at the Chicago L, which is their subway system. And she's very sad. She's, she's a lonely, sad person. Not that you are if you work in that... But in this case, Lucy is a sad, lonely person. And she had moved from her small town in Wisconsin to Chicago to go to a research hospital for her dad, who got really sick. And he had just passed away recently. It's a thing that I think a lot of people can relate to in a way, but she really has no family, no one. And she's not like going out there meeting people. Right, like she moved to Chicago specifically to go to a hospital yeah. to help her dad, so it's not like she's got a thriving social life. Exactly, and she quit college to, to do it, to be with him. And On this particular day, she had been guilted into working Christmas because her boss, who is kind of a funny character in this show, but because we keep coming back to the boss because she sees the boss every day before the shift, um, but he convinces her to work Christmas because she's the only person without family, which is bullshit, but bastard so she's sitting there kind of dreaming away and feeling a little sorry for herself when someone puts a token in she looks up it's peter it's the love of her life that she's been pining over for the last few months for the last three months she's been like just 
thinking this is my prince charming i'm someday will be with this man and she can't speak and he goes about his day mm -hmm. and as she's like but punishing herself because she couldn't talk to him and just say something nice like merry christmas yeah anything <laughs> she's looks up and he's getting mugged on the platform and gets thrown onto the tracks oh my god my worst nightmare i mean seriously <laughs> and she runs over she jumps on the tracks and tries to wake him up and she's like sniffs him hardcore like oh you smell so good she says mm -hmm. which i'm like okay i i know that they're doing this for comedy effect but i'm like get him off the fucking tracks yeah, you're like a train's coming and it is coming <laughs> and eventually he she rolls him off and she saves his life but he's hit his head so he had to go to the ER, and as they're pushing his body, he is get, he is in a coma. They are pushing him in, and she's trying to follow him into the the room. But the doctor, it's probably like a resident of some kind who's kind of right. a brat. He's like, "You can't come in. You're not family." And she's like, "But I saved his life. I was with him." And then as the doctor walks away, she's in the waiting room, and there there's a nurse beside her talking to somebody else, and she goes, "But I was gonna marry him." And obviously, right. she didn't really mean that. Right. She, meant she hasn't actually spoken to him yet, but her plan was eventually to talk to him and marry him. Could be crazy, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the nurse overhears this and is like, okay, wait a minute. And she gets her in to be with his, by his side because this is his fiance after all. And then we see like a, a police officer and the police officer is like, I need to take, I need to take a statement from the person who saved. And as... There, you know, as the police officer is about to get into Lucy and to kind of like get some of the details, Peter's entire family come in. And the thing I love, and I totally get why Lucy fell in love with this family, not just Peter without knowing Peter, but this family, <laughs> the, their dynamic is so great. It's written hilariously. People are talking on top of each other. It's really funny. Right. You rarely see one person from a family alone they they like move in a unit when they come on stage they enter the stage together or not stage you know right. enter the screen together and the dad is played by peter boyle mm -hmm. we've got glennis johns who's playing the grandma who is amazing so great she's so great she was so the great. mom in the original supercalifragilisticexpialid miss mary poppins oh that's right yeah she also was the original in um a little night music, the one that's saying like, send in the clowns. Oh my God, like, yes. That's her, yeah. Uh, she's so brilliant in this. She's so funny. Peter's mom is played by Nicole Mercurio, who is, I love her. She, I don't know why she like reminds me. She doesn't look like my mom, but she has this like sweetness about her that I just love her so much. And then the next door neighbor, who's also Peter's godfather, is played by Jack Warden, who is incredible as well. So this whole, this whole old, people cast are lovely and they they basically knock the policeman out of the way and they're like it's his fiance they're like what the hell and so apparently the family hadn't really seen peter in a long time so they were like it wasn't surprising i guess that they didn't know that he was engaged and then the lie gets out of hand as we find out so lucy doesn't correct them when they're like oh you're his fiance yeah. oh my god we're so excited to meet you yes. but in the movie don't they kind of make it seem like she's trying to tell them she's not yeah absolutely but they like never stop talking because we need to root for lucy she can't just be like a crazy psycho lady who's like yes we were engaged to be married i was literally just gonna say that <laughs> like yeah she definitely but you know you're right we have to see her trying not to be a psychopath. Like we're not, we're not worried about Peter at this point. We're like, she's, she's just, she's stuck in her own kerfuffle, yeah. her problem. The family leaves and she's talking to Peter's 
comatose body and he's like your fam she's like your family thinks we're engaged i've never been engaged before and she asks him if he believes in love at first sight and she says have you ever fallen in love with somebody you haven't even talked to <laughs> <laughs> and at this time uncle saul who's the neighbor and his godfather overhears and he knows and it's the morning and the family barges in. She's been sitting there all night long. She, they invite her to their Christmas celebration because that's what was happening. And everybody's like, oh, Jack's going to be there. You're going to meet Jack. Oh, good. There's also a younger daughter who's probably like a junior in high school. And then right. Jack is, I want to say like the middle child maybe. Jack is played by Bill Pullman who uh, in 1995 is just like a little snack. He's a little snacky snack. Yeah. I love me some Bill Pullman. He's just a handsome, lovely dude. And he plays a little bit of like a jackass in this, right? Where he's like... A little bit. Like, not like a mean guy, but like he doesn't no. exactly believe her or trust her. And they've got like this automatic, like kind of quippy banter. Oh, it's... Yeah, that is what it is. It's fueled with chemistry. And he has this thing about him, and I don't know if it's because of Sandra Bullock, but when he looks... Because, you know, he can't have her throughout this. You're going to find out like eventually, you know, whatever. Right, because she's his brother's fiance. Exactly. <laughs> But he has this yearning about him that you just, I mean, I, just, I'm sorry, mom, to say this, but you just want to sit on his face. He's just like got the sweet, sweetest like disposition right. about him. You just want to. Just want to give him what he wants. Yeah. Or <laughs> make him give you what you want. Everyone's consensual. Yeah. Everyone's interested. He wants it. You want it. Everybody wants it. It's great. This is the underlining of this entire movie, but right now it's just a rom-com. So here we go. <laughs> so she's, she's talking to her boss. Her boss name is named Jerry. And she's like, well, what if he doesn't come out of his coma? You know, she's like, I got to tell him what's up. I'm not the, again, she's trying to be like, I'm not the one. I'm not his fiance. And Jerry's like, you tell him right now, you might, well, you might as well shoot grandma. So then we, <laughs> we see her by herself eating a sad dinner that's like been prepared in maybe a microwave. And she, microwave. And she remembers, <laughs> microwave. <laughs> she remembers the invite from Peter's family. And so she's like, you know what? I'm going to go. So she goes. She's so lonely. She gets to their house on a cold, snowy night. And as she's about to enter the family home, she bumps into Saul, the neighbor, the godfather. He sits down with her and has a conversation. She doesn't know he knows. So Saul's talking in code a little bit. He says, you know, Lucy, the Callahans took me in as part of their family. And I wouldn't want anyone to hurt them. And Lucy says, me neither. And he says, I believe you. I believe you wouldn't. So then they go in, and as she watches the family unwrap their presents, Lucy is looking and appreciating them and loving them. They even give her a gift from Santa. And then we cut to uh, Peter's high-rise apartment building, and rut row, his answering machine, is this woman named Ashley, and she's back from Lisbon, and she says, what the hey, I will marry you. <laughs> Uh-oh. So he does have a fiance. Yeah. And she, so Lucy ends up spending the night at the family's house and the younger brother Jack arrives and Lucy's trying to sneak out early, but he's, but he like is kind of scares her. He says, I guess I don't remember meeting you. He looks at her in curiosity and says, well, welcome to the family. And then this is crazy. Lucy goes to Peter's apartment. I'm like, that's shady. They gave her his keys. I'm not really sure what the impetus of that, but she sees Jack there and he seems a little skeptical. So Peter's brother, Jack, you know, is probably checking in on things or whatever, but they meet there and the phone rings. He answers it and he's like, oh, it's for you. It was for Lucy and it's the hospital. And they're like, you know, it's good oh. if you can give blood. So they, they decide to go give blood together. So they go back to the to the um, hospital together and 
At this point, Jack is totally testing her. He is skeptical. He is not sure. He knows his brother, and this girl seems honestly maybe a little too nice. When he goes to her apartment to kind of do some recon, recon, Joe Jr. tells him, he's like, ah, yeah, Lucy's my, my girlfriend. So he's really like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> so then they're, they're there, and, and Jack is still like, prove it. Prove that you are his. Yeah, his fiance. And the grandma's like, well... She's like, if she wanted to prove it, she'd prove it. So Lucy proves it by knowing that he only has one testicle because he lost it in a racquetball accident. He randomly, it's just like a fun writing thing, but she, as she was leaving the hospital the other day, one of his colleagues came in and divulged the information that he was playing racquetball with a pencil in his pocket and it burst <sighs> Peter's junk. Testicle. That's painful and also really yeah, sad that, you know, they, they prove it. The mom looks and he only has one testicle, but like... <sighs> You think you tell your family, like, I got to go in for surgery. So he doesn't have a great relationship with his family. <laughs> yeah. And grandma says, well, look on the bright side. He's got more room in his jockey shorts. <laughs> she's, so, she's given the best lines. But now we're back at Lucy's apartment and June, Joe Jr. barges in. And then he, she's like, what are you doing? But then Sal shows up, the older, you know, the neighbor. And she gets him out and then... Because she, sh by the way, she shoves Joe Jr. in a closet, which this, these kind of things in movies kill me. Like when somebody like hides somebody in a closet, when somebody else comes in, I'm like, right. there must be a better way. I'm like, you must go out the window, jump. I don't care. I, right. Get out of my apartment. It's so stressful. But then he, fi she finally gets Sal gone and then freaking Jack comes in and she's like, let's leave. And let's, you know, Jack has a gift from the family. It's a piece of furniture because the family's business is like used furniture. They buy furniture from oh. estate sales and resell it. And she's like, I'll help you. Let's go take it to Peter's apartment. When they're unloading the furniture, we find out that Jack isn't just selling furniture. He's building his own furniture, but he's afraid to tell his dad because it's the dad's business or, you know, it's the family business and he wants right, to Right, and go. he's supposed to keep doing it, but he wants to do his own thing. Exactly. Um, and it's, you know, it's like that it's beautiful thing where you discover more about someone and their desires and wants. And it's it, they have this sweet moment where they are walking back to her apartment because he parks really shitty and she's like I told you so and he's like whatever I'll walk you back and of course they might be falling in love Jack says maybe I should walk you back to your apartment they do they learn more about each other she talks about her dad about traveling and and more falling in love which I just I'm like assuming but you know she carries her passport wherever she goes just in case she needs to do any last minute travel um, though there aren't any stamps in it and he makes a joke about like you know or, or she makes a joke about having to leave the country quickly. And I'm like, yeah, because you're stalking someone. Because <laughs> you're, you're literally like conning your way into a family. Yeah. But so, but that's beautiful, right? Like she's always wanted to travel. She didn't end up finishing college because her dad passed away or, you know, and got sick. Or got sick. Yeah. And now she wants to travel and she's just stuck. She's so stuck. It's not even funny. I mean, maybe was, was it she that was sleeping the whole time? Two. <laughs> and as they get close to her door, they there's a bunch of there's like a crazy ice patch and they have to kind of hug each other and as they are Scoop. walking, it's this it's a really cute thing, but however they felt it filmed it, 
They hug and then sort of grope and then giggle. And the chemistry is seriously thicker than my thighs during the holidays. It is amazing. amazing. <laughs> I remember that scene. Yeah, they're trying not to fall down. So they're like scooting, but they're definitely like exactly very handsy with each other. It's cute. OK, so she confesses to her boss that she's having an affair now. So she likes Jack <laughs> and not Peter. So she's having an affair on her quote unquote fiance and he's like you are nuts so then we see jack playing cards with comatose peter and he says you know you're you're unlucky in cards but lucky in love and he lets him know he was never envious of anything he had until now and then we cut to the family dinner and the banter. Also, like, what's with the, all of the weird shit people are saying to the comatose I dude? I know. And what do you think was going through, like, Peter Gallagher's mind for most of filming? Do you think he just, like, <laughs> let himself fall asleep? They were like, we don't need those eyes, but we need those brows. I mean. You just stay right here in frame, sir. I don't want to disrespect Peter Gallagher, but he seems like a simple person. So he was probably like, this is the easiest acting job I've ever had. <laughs> right. I mean, I just love it. I feel like. He must have just gotten really comfortable falling asleep on set. Yeah. Since he had to pretend to be asleep. I'm just going to assume he also just slept. I mean, I would probably. Make that money, Peter Gallagher. Absolutely. (laughs) So at at work, we see the youngest sister of Peter and she's kind of visiting. She visits Lucy and Lucy's co-worker learns she's getting married. Lucy, the co-worker's like, what the hell? You're getting married? And as the sister leaves with her friend, the co-worker says, what are you pregnant? You know, because that's why you would get married so fast. And sarcastically, Lucy replies, yeah, I'm pregnant. And now the family, of course, thinks that Lucy is with child. So that's a fun whole mishap that happens. Oh, and then, <laughs> oh, because his sister overhears her say, yeah, I'm pregnant. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm pregnant. Yeah. Like, stop just saying things that aren't true, Lucy. I mean, that's just like, a, obviously, in this movie, it happens a lot. So <laughs> yeah. the writer is like, this is what I'm going to use to push my story forward. Uh-huh. And then Jack shows up at her apartment and drives her to a work party. And she's like, you're acting weird because he thinks she's pregnant. And they get mm-hmm. to the party. She's about to have a drink because she's freaking out because she loves him. And she's like, what the hell am I? I'm getting myself into a real mess. And then he's like, you shouldn't drink. It's not good for the baby. And then everybody in the, is like. Arr! And she's like, what baby? Yeah, she's like. Well, no. At least she clears that one up. Right. She's not like, oh, yes, also the baby. That would be really <laughs> tricky if they hadn't done that. And then we get into this weird story where Jack is talking about like Joe Jr. leaning in. Like there's this whole thing. It's a difference between hugging and leaning. And Jack said that she leaned into Joan Jr. And then Joe Jr. jumps out of the party to protect her. He's like, because Jack's showing what a lean-in is. And Lucy is not minding it at all. No. And Joe Jr. is like, hey, what are you doing? Lucy, you need some help? I know karate. <laughs> but anyways, it's just like forwarding their little sexual tension along. And then Jack says, you know, you're really not Peter's type. And this ensues like a little fight because she's like, yeah. yeah, you're right. How could you assume that anybody he'd ever be with anybody like me? And he's like, no, it's basically he wants her. Yeah. He's like, you're just you're, you should be with me <laughs> throughout this fight. They eventually talk about family expectations. And she said, you don't know what it's like to be alone. And he's like, but you have Peter. She says, I don't have anybody because that's the truth. And he thinks it's because he's in a coma. Exactly. But it's not because you never had him at all. She never, she ever, she ever met him. Never met him. (laughs) New Year's hits and the family is celebrating in Peter's room. And guess what? His beautiful eyes flutter open under those huge caterpillars of eyebrows. (laughs) He wakes up. The family is all smiling, looking at him. He's looking at each one of them from his POV point of view. And he looks at Lucy and he's like, who are you? And the dad responds, it's like, your fiance. And then he's like, he's got amnesia. He's, it's totally. So like they give the answers before 
Right. She, before anything bad can happen. And Lucy, but Lucy at this moment tries to fess up. She's like, this is okay. I have to tell you guys something. But Sal interrupts. He Because he hmm. doesn't want, he said he's never seen the family so happy. And he right. doesn't want them to get hurt. And so Peter is told he's engaged. The nurse comes in and says, I got some jello for you. And he's like, Do I like jello? Like, it's funny. <laughs> and you see him like singing. <laughs> he gets to really do his like comedy here. He's like, A, B, C, D, worrying like with those eyebrows. Right. <laughs> how much he has remembered and how much he has forgotten. <laughs> and <laughs> Lucy and Jack have this sweet scene in the truck. She tells him, Starting tomorrow, things will be kind of different. I just want you to know that you've become a really good friend. And he says, Lucy, I didn't mean what I said about you and Peter. I, I think you two will make a terrific couple. And I'm really glad you won't be alone anymore. And he leaves. It's sad because what she means is like the, the truth will come out. You're going to find out I'm a liar. And uh, nobody's going to want to hang out with me after that. Yeah. The next morning, Jack confesses to his dad that he wants to start a business. So he gets the chutzpah to go probably mm -hmm. due to Lucy and the partnership that the two of them friendship that they have he gets the balls to go and tell his dad that he wants to start his own business and then later sal says he wants to talk to peter alone lucy and him have a deal he's like let me break the news exactly yeah but sal doesn't want that to happen so sal pretty much convinces peter to keep going forward with this she's a good person you know and then we see peter's real fiance enter his apartment building and the sweet or old doorman won't let her and she's like pissed and he's she's very scary and peter confesses to jack so his he they're having a brother talk he's sitting on his what? his bed and he's like confessing to his brother all the things that make him shitty and this is where we are like oh wait a minute you're not a nice person apparently like there's a story in the family where he saved these squirrels and he confesses that he actually threw them out of their nest first and then quote unquote save them and he, oh. he says he's never been faithful to a woman before he says he doesn't even know what the, his secretary sent their parents it was a fruit bowl just so you know also I'd be pissed if I got a fruit bowl I would be pissed if I got a fruit bowl and I was like your cousin that's just rude yeah but, put some thought into I it mean, secretary anything but yeah so he's just like not a nice person we're learning and right. Peter is convinced he will marry her Lucy, regardless. Sal has not told the family, so Lucy fires him. She's like, no, I'm going to tell him. And she gets in the elevator, unbeknownst to her, with his real fiance, who's going to rip him a new one. So she goes up there. Ashley, she gets to Peter first, and she's like, may I remind you that you proposed to me? And he's like, you said no. You moved to Lisbon. And he's still a shitty person because he's talking about, well, fine. I want." She's like, well, I want everything back that... It's mine. And he's like, well, I want everything back that's mine. So apparently he bought her a nose job. So he's like, I want it back. And she grabs her nose. She's like, <gasps> and the boobs uh -huh. job too. He's like, you can keep those. I'm a changed man. <laughs> he says, it took a coma to wake me up. And he says to Lucy, my family loves you. I might as well love you. Lucy, will you marry me? <laughs> and I assume Lucy said yes, because the next scene we see is her trying on a wedding outfit. And Jack knocks on the door and gives her a gift. It's a snow globe of Florence. She wants him. Aww. She wants him so bad. And guess what? He wants her. He tells her, Peter is a very lucky guy. And I, he says, I had to say that because you're going to be my sister-in-law. And Sandra Bullock does her little funny laugh like, <laughs> and then she follows him out. She says, can you give me any reason why I shouldn't marry your brother? And this is the moment. This is what she's, mm -hmm. she, she's like, tell me you love me. Yeah, And he, of course, says, I can't because... Right. He's the good do brother. That. Yeah. He's actually not Peter. Peter might have been like, 
Yeah. She gives her boss the invite to the wedding the next day, and he asks, what happened with the other guy? And she replies, he didn't want me, which is bullshit, but, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's the wedding day. Lucy isn't there yet. People are getting nervous. It's the hospital chapel, for fart's sake, people. This is just nuts. I think it's, like, crazy, but it's fine. It's a movie. I'll be okay with it. But, like, watching it now, I'm like. Like, they're, like you're like, why are you guys getting married right now while he's still in the hospital? I know. Like, what's the hurry? So she shows up. They start the music. She toe taps down the aisle. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. And Lucy says, I object. And Jack says, I would have to object too. And she says, I am in love with your son. And the dad's like, what? And she says, cool. That's why we're here. <laughs> yeah. And she says, not that one. Do you remember that day at the hospital? Of course you remember that day at the hospital. Well, there was a little mix up. I saw Peter get pushed onto the tracks and I saved his life. But when I got to the hospital, they wouldn't let me see him. So someone told the doctor I was his fiance. <laughs> I was never engaged to Peter. And they're like, why didn't you say something? She's like, because I didn't know how to tell you. We never even met until the day that day on the tracks. And just when we were in the hospital room, every everything just happened so fast. And I couldn't tell you the truth. And I didn't want to tell you the truth because the truth was that I fell in love with you. And Jack is like, you fell in love with me? He's like, yeah. She's like, yeah, I fell in love with all of you, though. And she said, but you know what? You really saved my life. I might have saved your life on the tracks that day. She said that to Peter. You know what? You really saved mine. You allowed me to be a part of your family. And I haven't had that in a really long time. And I just didn't want to let go of that. So even though it was just for a little while, I will love them always. And that is where... Sandra Bullock's delivery is just like beyond. She's so good. And it also turns out that Peter had previously proposed to a woman who had already had a husband. So Ashley actually is married. So he's just like a dick all around. Um, But he has a really good family. So it's like, I guess the bad apples theory on this one. The next day we see Lucy at work and it's, it's her last day on the job. She's finally had the courage to quit and she's probably going to go back to school or she's going to travel. Who knows? And as she's, sitting in her token taking booth she hears something drop into the little the little uh right the little slot change slot it's a ring and behind oh, him oh i forgot that that's how this yeah happens. behind him is his entire family and the grandma yells get down on a knee it'll be more romantic and he does he comes into the booth and asks her to marry him. And uh, the last scene we see is, it's like instead of a back of a car, it's the back of the subway and it says just married. It's the two of them in the back window. And she says, we hear over voiceover, I married Jack instead. My father was right. Life doesn't always end up the way you planned it. Oh yeah. Amazing, amazing. Also, can we just note that so within the span of what, like the week and a half she knew this family, she almost married one of their sons and then got engaged to <laughs> the other son. Like, and they were all, the, the whole family was like, yes, this is the right thing to do. Like, get to know each it's other, It's a little guys. far-fetched, I'll, it's I'll so admit. It's so funny. To, I mean, it's a, it's a movie. So, of course, in the movies, things happen in ways that, you know, you'd hope don't happen in real life. Yeah. But amazing excellent job of telling well, the thank story you. and, and it, man it does kind of make me want to watch it again it, it's a it's a satisfying it's a satisfying one to watch i think in terms of like the feeling you get when it's done everything all the funny little little jokes yeah. within i highly you recommend the, it you get the bill pullman you get the sandra bullock you get the quirky cute family yep. and also you can stream this for free if you have disney plus oh cool yeah well i'm gonna definitely watch it for sure i like a free stream 
I love a free stream. So when I was um, trying to figure out what to do mm-hmm. crime-wise for while you were sleeping, obviously one of the first things that came to mind was like, two brothers in love with the same woman and somehow a murder happens. I was able to find a couple examples of that. But again, you know, you want to find a story that's been fleshed out that like you can get back backstory details on. Right. And I didn't I didn't feel like I found one that I was able to like really get the goods for. Then I was like, okay, um, somebody murders their loved one, like their romantic interest by shoving them in front of a subway train. Um, That doesn't really happen. I found lots of stories about like a wife witnessing in horror as someone pushes her husband or vice versa. Yeah. Um, I did find one story about a woman who was found, um, a freight train hit her and they, but she was like already on the tracks and they couldn't figure out if it was like an accident, a suicide, or was it murder? Surprise, surprise. It was murder. I almost went with that one. But then the thing that really stuck out to me when I thought about like what this movie was about was that it's, it's a, it's about a lie, right? That does spin out of control about a woman who allows herself to kind of lie and trick a family that she loves because it, it's better for her. You know, if she gets, she doesn't have to be lonely anymore yeah. and now she falls in love and she gets the guy. And so I was like, all right, so maybe I'm going to do something with like a scammer, a con artist, a female con artist. So I landed on a crazy story that's actually pretty like in the in the world right now. Um, have you ever heard of Anna Delvey? No. All right. Anna Delvey was known as the Soho Grifter or the Magician of Manhattan. Shonda Rhimes um, is currently working on a TV show about this story that will be Ooh. on Netflix soon, <gasps> starring uh, starring Julia Garner. Like some of the first like promo pics and stuff have come out. Ooh. And when you hear this story, it's insane what this girl did oh my god i cannot she conned wait. she conned everybody i love it yes okay so let's get into it so anna delvey was born anna sorokin in 1991 in russia at the age of 16 she and her family relocated to germany and though she never learned to speak german all that well that would end up being one of the big red flags that people missed so she Never really learned to speak German that well, but lived in Germany. Her dad was a truck driver and then ran a heating cooling business in the working class town that they lived in in Germany. And Anna was like, I am bigger than this. I am better than this and could not wait to to leave. So after high school, she immediately hightails it out of there and first moves to London where she goes to college and then drops out of college. Then she moved to Berlin, where she interned um, in fashion public relations, which I was kind of like, that's very specific. Not just fashion, fashion public relations, like the people that help fashion people deal with their issues. I was like, interesting. (laughs) Um, And eventually she moves to Paris, where she lands the coveted internship at the super cool French magazine Purple. So Purple Mm. covers fashion, art, and culture. And Anna loved all of those things. So all of this traveling around, going to school, dropping out of school, doing internships, this is all funded by Anna's, you know, parents who are not super rich. They're like working class, middle class people. But they really believed in her and saw a bright future ahead of her. So they're paying for all of this. Um, And it was in Paris that Anna Sorokin became Anna Delvey. 
She thought that Delvey sounded sophisticated and just a little bit like DeVille. Mm. You know, Cruella DeVille, in case I didn't deliver that well. So Anna was walking away from her humble background and transforming herself into the woman that she was meant to be. Anna Delvey went to exclusive parties and wore designer clothes. She rubbed elbows with fashion industry insiders and she posted selfies of herself with them to Instagram. Anna's Instagram was a meticulously curated picture of a woman who was in the thick of it, in the middle of everything. So yes, she posted those selfies with fashion bigwigs and then she also loved to post pictures of just like artwork. And it was in this backdrop of the art world and the fashion world that Anna started scamming or conning people. She got herself introduced to Michael Zufu Wong, which he was a young, rich, like super sexy art collector and museum founder. And when he mentioned to her that he was going to this glamorous art exhibition in Venice, which is called the Venice um, Biennale. I've been to that. You have? Yeah, it's amazing. Amazing. So he tells her that he's going to that. And she's like, oh, my God, me too. And then she said, do you think you could help me find like a room somewhere to stay? And so remember, this guy's like super rich. And um, so this wouldn't have been a big deal to him or whatever. But um, he ends up putting both of their plane tickets and hotel rooms on his credit card and with a promise from Anna that she's totally going to pay him back. But he he found it kind of strange that when they arrived in Venice, Anna didn't seem to have any invitations to anything um, or any plans of her own. She just kind of went where he went, followed him around. So after the exhibition ends, Anna doesn't pay Michael back. Um, But he says that he kind of forgot about it. Um, It was only a few thousand dollars. And that wasn't a big deal to the people in their social scene. And I was just like, (laughs) God must be nice. You owe me three grand. But no big deal. Like whenever. I'd be like, I'm going to need that right now. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) That's that's, that's my rent money. Um, So Anna herself was a bit eccentric. She would tip like everyone who ever like came across her path in $100 bills. But then she would ask friends if she could crash on their couch because she didn't seem to have a place to stay. Um, She was really vague about her background, but who cared? Rich people are quirky, right? So even when she was just plain like rude to people, that just seemed to somehow prove to them that she was this like rich, exotic, strange mysterious girl so they were like oh she's a jerk but I mean that just must definitely prove that she's like a total like trust fund brat Anna has now spent all of this time in all those glamorous cities I mentioned before we've got Paris we've got Berlin we've got London but in 2016 she went where all people Vaughn with big dreams or big cons in their hearts go to New York City Anna had a mission. She told her friends slash marks, I guess is what we'll call them, um, that she was going to open a members-only art club, sort of like the Soho House, and it was going to be called the Anna Delvey Foundation. It would have all of the hippest artists on display. There would be restaurants, a juice bar. It would be like this whole immersive experience. And she wanted the ADF, the Anna Delvey Foundation, to reside at the Church Mission's house. This, so I don't know if we both lived there, so you might know this. The Church Missions House is located on the corner of Park Avenue and 22nd Street. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and it's this beautiful tall building with like stone arches. It's one of those, you know, New York is so, the the architecture there in certain places is so stunning. But it's one of those those buildings that most people would like stop to look at it, but never think, 
I'm going to make that building mine, but not Anna. Anna was determined that this building and her dreams of the Anna Delvey Foundation were going to come true. So she put together a plan. She had um, met a guy whose family owned a real estate advising company. And so she started, so she just met that guy, right? So she starts telling people that he'd helped her get the lease for six whole floors of the church missions house. An executive at this friend that she kind of knew's company started setting up meetings for Anna with people in the food and beverage industry. Um, so she's like, I want a juice bar. Where do we think it should go? Should it go here? What kind of food should we serve? <laughs> um, she's having all of these meetings, um, ha- telling everyone that she had the lease for six floors of this building. But the issue was, who's going to pay for all of this? She initially was going to like find sponsors and all that kind of stuff, but she didn't like being told what to do. She wanted the whole vision to be hers, so she knew that she needed to come up with the money herself or get a loan. Anna had been telling people that she had family money, a huge trust fund, but that it was all tangled up in European and Swiss bank accounts, so she needed a loan of about $25 million. One of her friends, and I'm whenever I say friends, and we'll get to this more, it's like people that she's coming across at all of these exclusive parties. Sure. So they're like friendly. So one of her friends put her in touch with a real estate lawyer named Andy Lance. And Andy put her in touch with all of these different banks and investment groups. Um, And Anna had this lawyer, Andy Lance, really convinced that she was legit. And he was writing to all of these banks and investment groups, like these glowing emails about this upcoming project and all of the amazing people she had involved and like how cool and rich she was. Um, And Anna had plenty of fake documents to show her millions. It was 60 million euros, to be exact, that she said existed. She had all of the fake documents to prove it. So in December of 2016, she walks into City National Bank in Midtown Manhattan and tells them she's a German heiress and then again produces the documents to prove it. She asks for a $22 million loan to launch ADF, the foundation. And the bank is like, Mm, I don't know. Uh, I don't think so. They're like, we're good. I don't know. No, thank you. So then she's like, hmm, not totally discouraged. She decides she's going to try again at the Fortress Investment Group. And so they're like an investment group that's actually pretty close by to the the City National Bank. Um, And they tell Anna, here's the deal. You want a $22 million loan? We're going to need a $100,000 deposit from you that we can use to spend on verifying that you were good for this loan. So um, Anna is like, no problem. And being the fantastic like storyteller, spinner, con artist that she is, she's like, how can I make $100,000 appear out of nowhere? And she's like, got this. She goes back to the bank that denied, the city national bank that denied her loan. And she's like, okay, so I know that you wouldn't give me the loan of 22 million. But she convinces one of the reps there to let her overdraft her account for $100,000, which is the equivalent, I guess, of taking out like a temporary loan from a bank instead of a fixed loan. It's like, just give me a few hours and I'll put this back in, but I need to get this over to them because they're going to give me the loan. Um, So while they weren't willing to give her that $22 million, they were like, I guess she's totally good for the (laughs) $100,000. Oh, my God. Part of me is like, how smart is this girl? Like, I wouldn't even know how that any of this stuff I've never had millions of 
dollars or even hundreds of thousands of dollars to play with. But the fact that she like understood that she could ask them to overdraft, I'm just like, she knew some, she clearly was doing her research. Mm-hmm. All right, so she promises City National to wire them um, the money right away after they let her overdraft. And then she takes the $100,000 that she's basically just stolen from this bank back to the Fortress Investment Group. And over the next few months, they start spending some of that money trying to verify that she is who she said she was. They spend about $45,000 doing this bond. So they're emailing back and forth with a man named Peter um, Henneke, who claimed to be Anna's family's accountant. But it was actually just Anna um, (sighs) from a bad email address, which apparently was also an AOL email address, which also was giving them red flags. They're like, why does this guy have an AOL email address? But Peter, a.k.a. Anna, told the investment group that Anna's family's wealth was all based in an extensive art collection from medieval times. And I also just laughed at that, where I was like, that's all he said? We're we're so rich because we have an extensive art collection from the medieval times, which to me, I always just think of that as being like a cheesy restaurant where you go and like watch fake jousting. By the beginning of 2017, Fortress Investment Group are no longer convinced that they're dealing with a legitimate rich person here asking right. for a humongous loan. So little things... Um, that were the red flags for them were Anna had a, Ru- a Russian birthplace on her German ID card, but she had a German birthplace on her passport. And they could never get in touch with any of the so-called, like the names of the bankers, her bankers in Zurich, could never get a hold of them. They decide in early 2017 to, they're going to withdraw from the loan process. They're going to say, so sorry, we are not going to give you this loan and um, we just don't believe you. Now you'd think in a situation like this, after she's basically stolen the 100k to get verified for the loan that maybe you'd like panic or back tra- or like back yeah. or disappear or something but not Anna she stays totally calm she even sends emails to all of the people within Fortress Investment Group that she's working to telling them or stating to them in these emails that she'd done everything she could to cooperate and move things quickly she never said that she was a founder this was she was trying to start a foundation and that from her perspective, everything she was doing was logical and in the betterment of her project. And if they had any suggestions for other ways she might go about securing a loan of this size, she would love their advice. You just got to love like the moxie, right? Yeah. I wrote down, this girl had some serious cajones. <sighs> so Anna doesn't completely streak out, though. Anna doesn't completely strike out with this whole fortress situation because they only spent $45,000 of the 100,000 deposit that she had swindled from City National Bank um, which left Anna with $55,000 to just have some fun with. Um, So in 2018, Vaughn, two giant articles, in fact, one of them would be the sixth most read article of the year um, were written about Anna. There was one in, um, the you know New York Magazine's The Cut? Yeah. So one of them, that was the sixth most read, um, written by a journalist. And then there was another um, article in Vanity Fair, which was written by Rachel Deloach-Williams, who'd been a friend of Anna's and totally conned by her. Oh. She got a lot of stuff stolen from her. So both of the articles told details of how Anna seemed to have endless supplies of cash. Remember I mentioned she was always tipping people in $100 bills. Um, She paid for lavish meals, designer clothes, eyelash extensions, 
$5,000 worth of personal training sessions with other friends. But what the people at the time in her life at the time didn't realize was that that money was the $55,000 left over from the failed Fortress loan. And Anna didn't know this at the time, but in 2017, as she's like, all right, I got 55 grand to play around with. This is going to be her last year as a free woman for a while. Um, so it's, I guess it's a good thing she went like balls to the wall <laughs> and had all of the fun. So we start in January, her birthday month. She hires a PR firm to throw her birthday party. Um, the party was a veritable like who's who from the art, fashion, and business elite of Manhattan. Um, Anna is even ballsy enough to invite Michael Zufu Wong. Remember the guy she never paid back for the Venice uh, trip? Um, and he was surprised to hear from her, but he was like, okay, I'll go. And again, I, he's probably like, that girl maybe owes me a couple grand. Whatever, I'll go to her birthday. Yeah. So as he's mingling among her guests, Michael notices something kind of unsettling. No one at the party seems to actually really know Anna. Some of them have met her once before, but it appears that they'd all just been invited by this PR company. And he's like, that's weird. I thought this girl was like in with all of us. And then a few days after the birthday party, Michael hears from the restaurant where the party had been held because Anna had tagged him in one of the photos that she posted to Instagram of her party. So they sent him a DM and asked if he had Anna's contact info because it turns out Anna had given the restaurant a fake phone number and a fake credit card and had skipped out of the party before the bill had been delivered. And this is when Michael's like, oh, shit. Yeah. This girl is a con artist. So Michael immediately reaches out to Anna, I'm assuming like via Instagram or whatever it is, and he um, and he demands that she repay him for Venice. So finally, like a few days later, she Venmos him from an account with a different name than hers. And then he takes the money and he blocks her. And I'm like, call the cops. Yeah. I don't know. Or like <laughs> tell all the people that you know that are hanging out with this girl that she's shady. But whatever. He's like, I got my money back. He blocks her. Banana is not sweating any of this. She's actually moving herself into the swanky new hotel, 11 Howard, which just happened to be owned by the same guy who owned the church missions house, that beautiful building she wanted to open her foundation in. Because she knew and name-dropped the owner, and because she talks a really big game, and she's saying, like, wire transfers, I'll, I'll wire you the money, the hotel lets her move into a $400 a night suite without giving them a working credit card to keep on file. She befriends the concierge, a young girl named Neff, by regularly giving her $100 tips. Like, every time she would ask her a question, she'd be like, here's a hundo, here's a hundo. And a eventually these two kind of start becoming friendly. She like invites her out to go to dinner. Um, and she quickly turns the 11 Howard Hotel into her own. You know, she's like roaming around in a robe. She knows everyone by name. She gets impatient if she has to wait in line to talk to Neff and like waves $100 bills like behind the other people's heads. <laughs> Anna is now filling her days with massages, shopping sprees, personal training sessions, and fancy dinners where she would invite everyone from CEOs to actors like Macaulay Culkin. She spent hundreds of dollars on highlights and lash extensions. She often would spend her afternoons touring million-dollar apartments that she was maybe going to buy. And so while her lifestyle was like over the top, like the dream of what it must be like to live in New York, at least I was always poor in New York. I mean, I yeah. got by, but like I was never living large. You know, mm -hmm. I was just living. Um, 
So she's having this fantastic lifestyle. But at the heart of it all, Anna's actually all alone. She doesn't have any real friends and um, or family there. In fact, the only kind of friends she has is the concierge at the hotel she's living in. Rachel Williams, who is a photo editor at Vanity Fair, who I mentioned ended up writing an article about this, who Anna had met at a club one night when she walked up to the table that um, Rachel was at with bottle service. And then she had her personal trainer who was like an older kind of mother figure and like lifestyle guru. But those were like the only constants in her life. So we've got a girl she convinced to be her friend with bottle service and then a concierge whose job it is to like be kind to her and then a personal yeah. trainer that she's paying. So she doesn't have any like real friends. So sad. But she kind of lured them all in and kept them all around with money. She paid for everything. But behind the scenes, Anna is starting to have cash flow issues. There's an example described in detail in that article that came out in the cut of a night that she and Neff went out to dinner at a restaurant and Neff watched in horror as as Anna's first credit card was declined. Then she literally gives the waiter waitress like a list of like multiple credit cards to try, like more than 10 and oh, not one yeah. of them goes through. So in the end... Poor Neff has to transfer money from her savings account into her checking account to pay for the bill. But weirdly enough, like a couple days later, she, um, Anna repays Neff three times the amount. She's like, here's $900. I'm so sorry about that. But there's a much bigger bill that's going to become an issue in Anna's life. It's the bill at the 11 Howard Hotel when they realize that after two months or so, um, Anna owed them $30,000 and still didn't have a working credit card <laughs> oh on file. God. But Anna doesn't deposit, or doesn't deposit, she doesn't panic, sorry. She deposits $160,000 of bad checks into her bank account and then withdraws $70,000 before the bad checks have a chance to bounce. So now she can pay off the hotel so she pays off the 30 grand. She's got another $40,000 in cash to play around with. And so what does she decide she's going to do next? Instead of like, I don't know. You just managed to steal another 70 grand after the 100 grand you stole. Like maybe invest in like a, a nice suit and start interviewing for jobs, yeah. lady. Um, <laughs> she doesn't do that. She decides that she is going to rent a private jet and fly to Omaha to attend the Berkshire Hathaway Annual Shareholders Meeting. Now, what the hell is that? You might wonder. I also too was like, what the fuck is that? I, I do absolutely wonder what the hell is that. <laughs> so basically, this is an annual shareholders meeting where people like Warren Buffett mingle with Bill Gates. It's like the oh. richest people in the world being like, how do we keep getting richer and not let anyone else join us at this party? So the jet, the private jet rental is $35,000. But Anna name dropped the CEO of the company. And he, when the people that she was name dropping him to call and they were like, this woman says she knows you. And he did know her. Um, he assures his coworker that she is good for the money. So don't worry about it. Give her the jet. Oh, my gosh. She's good for it. So off she goes. She flies this private jet to Omaha. She does manage to get into this shareholders meeting where she mingles with 
Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. Um, and, and when she returns the jet to New York City, she tells the company that she'd been locked out of her Gmail account. And that is why the payment hadn't come through yet. Like she hadn't been able to like get into her information. Oh, my God. And eventually she sends them um, a forged. She sends them forged wire transfer paperwork. And one of the things that the the people who worked for this private jet company said when asked about all of this is they're like, you know, I think it's actually in human nature that when someone initially when someone tells you something, it's normal to believe them. Of course. So this girl being like, oh, my God, this is my Gmail account. I couldn't get into it. I'm going to fix it all. Then she sends forged paperwork. So she does not pay a cent for her little trip to Omaha. All right. But while in Omaha, even though Anna had settled that $30,000 debt that she owed 11 Howard Hotel, she still had not given them a working credit card to keep on file. So while she was gone on her little trip to hang out with Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, they changed the locks on her room and moved her stuff into storage. And Anna is pissed. She is pissed. She tells she gets her shit and she tells Neff, her friend, the concierge, that she bought the domain names of every manager at the hotel so that if there was a day that say it was like Britney Spears was the name of the manager and they wanted BritneySpears.com, they were going to have to pay her to get that domain name back. And she brags that she learned this trick from her friend Martin Screlly, a.k.a. the Pharma Bro. No. Who actually had only met her like twice in passing and they weren't close, but apparently she was very inspired by him. Oh, yuck. So instead of giving the credit card, or sorry, instead of getting the hotel a credit card, you know, and being like, sorry, here's the credit card. Can I please put my stuff back in my room? She buys all of the domain names of all of the managers and she's like, I'm just going to move out. She then tells her friends that actually... I need to move out out. I've got to I've got to leave the States because my visa is about to expire and I have to reset it. Because remember, she's a German heiress. Right. So she tells her friends, since I have to leave the country, why don't we take a trip to Morocco? And she woos those three friends I'm telling I told you about Neff, the concierge, Rachel, the photo editor from Vanity Fair and the personal trainer with the promise. She woos them with the promise of an all expenses paid trip to a five star hotel with a private butler and a private pool, which boasted the low, low price of seven thousand dollars a night. But Anna's going to cover it. Free trip. Come with me, my friends. Neff, the concierge, unfortunately could not get that much time off of work. It was going to be like a two-week trip. And also she told her mom about it and her mom had like a bad feeling. She was like, nothing is free. Yeah. You do not get, like if you're going to lose your job over this, like absolutely not. There's some kind of fucking weird shit happening here. But Rachel from Vanity Fair and the personal trainer were like, hell yes. (laughs) Um, Anna also brings along a videographer to document their trip because she's decided that she is going to make a documentary about the um, Anna Delphi Anna Delvey Foundation and like how it all came to be and she wants to get comfortable being in front of a camera. So smart. So she invites a videographer to come along. She also is inspired. This whole trip was inspired by something that um, I think Khloe Kardashian did. Like the Morocco of it all is a, was all about Khloe Kardashian. Okay. So that's why she picked it. Rachel put the plane tickets on her credit card and Anna promised to pay her back. Oh my God. In... Yeah, right? In Marrakesh, um, things were decadent at first. They're drinking rosé. They're swimming in their private pool. They're going shopping for, like, caftans. And Anna, while the girls are out in one of the markets 
um, shopping, she asks, she orders two custom-made caftans, one in black linen and one in white linen. But when it comes time to pay, Anna's credit card is declined. And Rachel says, did you tell the banks that you were traveling like abroad? And she's like, no. She's like, oh, that's that's probably it. They're blocking this because you didn't tell them you were leaving the country. So out comes Rachel's credit card. And she pays for the caftans. After a couple of days, they've been at the hotel now for like two, three days. Hotel employees at this like crazy five-star place are staying, keep flagging Anna down every time they see her and it like with increasing urgency they realized that there was no working credit card on file for their seven thousand dollar a night stay and Anna pretends that the or Anna had pretended that the problem had to do with banks and international travel and blah 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 this is so annoying it is a working credit card I'll fix it but the um but it's becoming clear to Rachel that there's like an issue with Anna's financial situation like it's not just a one-time like at the market you know your credit cards don't work Um, and the drama comes to a head on the fourth day of their trip when two men employed by the hotel begin to follow them everywhere they go to ensure that Anna doesn't skip out on this hotel bill and eventually the inevitable happens Rachel has to put the entire trip on her credit card. Otherwise, they're not going to let them leave. Oh, my God. And that's scary. I wouldn't yeah. want to mess around in a... You don't want to get arrested in a foreign country no. for a failure to pay. And the total that Rachel had to put on her credit card came to $62,000, which was more than Rachel made in a year. Oh, my God. Man. New York mm-hmm. is rough. It's rough. And, and she, she was for Vanity editor. Fair. Yeah. And you're like, you're only making... I mean, first of all, it still sucks that you have to put $62,000 of a trip someone told you they were paying for on your credit card. But like, also, Jesus, New York. All right. So back in America, Rachel desperately tries to get her friend, in air quotes, to pay her back. And she said in the article that she wrote, seeking reimbursement became a full-time job. And every time she'd ask, Anna always had an excuse being like, it's coming, it's coming, stop, relax, I've got the money. In fact, one day, she sh- uh, Rachel showed up at Anna's hotel at 8 a.m. and proceeded to follow her the entire day until 11 p.m. until it was clear that there was nothing she was going to be able to get done. So that's like why she described it as a full-time job. Anna's like promising, like the money is coming, relax, I got you, we're besties. Um, but by July... Anna now has nowhere to stay. She had been kicked out of two other hotels after wire transfers never came through and she failed to provide, can you say it? A working Working credit credit card. (laughs) Anna was effectively homeless. Oh my God. She begs her friends, the three of them, to let her crash on their couches while still insisting to everyone who was becoming aware of some of the issues that she was a German heiress. And when some of the people in her life decided that they needed to stage an intervention to be like, girl, what's the truth here? She flatly refuses to admit that she's lied about anything. Um, When one of the friends actually produces a news article showing that the church mission space, you know, the place where she had six floors in a lease, um, had actually been rented out to a um, a photograph museum. So like somebody else had the space. They show her an article and she's like, that's fake news. (laughs) That's all she says. Oh, my God. And they're just like, okay, so this girl's batshit crazy. Rachel also says that during this intervention, as she's being um, 
you know, confronted with more and more proof of her lies that she watched Anna's eyes like just go blank. Like she was able to just kind of like completely shut down and almost like exit her body. You guys can throw all this at me, but I'm not budging. Um, So not long after this failed intervention, Anna deposits several more fake checks. Um, And with the two hotels pressing charges against her for failure to pay and an upcoming court date, Anna, she she leaves town. She flies to California and checks herself in to Passages, Malibu, a celebrity (laughs) rehab center that costs $60,000 a month. So... After uh, Anna flees New York City and Rachel still owes $62,000 for her credit cards, she's like, okay, I'm going to the cops. She tells them that she thinks that Anna is a con artist and they're like, surprise, actually, so do we. We, act- we have an ongoing active investigation against this girl. And they convince her to like turn on her friend and I'd be like, probably not that hard since no i mean i would have been i would have told her i would have been like i'm calling the police right now give me my money or seriously i know and also like the police i love that in all the research i did it was like they convinced her no they didn't she was like what can i do to bring this bitch down yeah so they're like we're gonna use you and like a to get to get her so rachel calls anna and she's like i'm in california acting all normal not like she owe, like you, you know, Anna owes her a bunch of money and she's pissed. She's like, would you please meet me for lunch? And Anna's like, oh, my God, yes. <laughs> so Anna arrives at the restaurant in Malibu, but Rachel is nowhere to be found. Instead, a bunch of cops surround Anna and arrest her where they then send her back to New York. This was one of my favorite things, though. When asked later on about Rachel and the police and their whole sting operation, Anna would describe it as a bit extra. Oh, my God. So Anna's sent to Rikers, y'all. You know Rikers? Yeah. Um, Where she manages to do what she does best. She makes friends with the right people. She knows the right things. And that's very important in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, And then also while she's in Rikers, Anna signs a $320,000 deal with Netflix for the rights to her life story, which is currently being made for Netflix by Shonda Rhimes, starring Julia Garner, a series about this whole insane story. So she now has several hundred thousand dollars from Netflix. I don't know how I feel about it. I hope she was forced to like pay back all of her bills I mean, before I she got to keep so. anything. I think she must have. But if Anna gained fame when those articles in Vanity Fair and the cut came out in 2018. She became fucking infamous, Vanya, when her trial started in 2019. Oh so, my God. I didn't even hear about this. Well, that's because we were not living. I feel like if we lived in New York, we would have yeah. known every detail about this. So her lawyer paints Anna as a dreamer who'd come to New York and hustled hard. And through sheer will, she'd created the life that she wanted to live. Anna didn't want to wait for opportunities. She created opportunities. And then when you hear that, you're kind of like, yes, we all want that. We all want to like hustle hard and make money. Sure. I mean, she also stole like tens of hundreds of what are you hundreds of thousands of dollars from people, hotels, private jet companies and personal acquaintances. But the reason she really became infamous, Vaughn, was her fashion during the trial. Endless scrutiny. She worked with a stylist to like 
craft her looks every day. And apparently she had multiple breakdowns during the course of her trial when she wasn't happy with her options, with her wardrobe options. Oh, my God. Which I just love so much, actually. In a weird way, I'm like, I love that you don't care that you're on trial for, like, your freedom. You're like, I hate the five dresses you brought me, Stephanie, from the stylist company I hired. (gasps) That's what she's upset about. She's like, I don't like these outfits. So Rachel from Vanity Fair testifies against Anna and she cries the whole time she's on the stand describing her experience with Anna as the most traumatic time in her life. But the jury isn't really, is kind of skeptical of Rachel since she'd accepted so much free shit like money and gifts and all expensive, like expenses paid trips that they don't actually feel bad enough for her to uh, find Anna guilty of swindling her out of that $62,000. Oh my God, really? But they, yeah, but they did find her guilty of second degree grand larceny, theft of services, and first degree attempted grand larceny for all of those hotel bills and private jets that she never paid for. So her poor, and by poor, I mean poor and poor, friend Rachel, they give her nothing. But the bajillionaires, corporations that probably didn't even notice their missing money, they all get their money back and she goes to jail for what she did. She is sentenced to four to 10 years in prison. And the day after her sentencing hearing, she told the New York Times that she wasn't sorry, she regretted nothing, and that she would do it all again. (laughs) So even while in prison, Anna continues to like make, leave her mark on this the city of Manhattan, the world, the people that believed that she was this German heiress, the people that lost money. Um, Elle magazine, Yahoo, and Refinery29 in, in 2019 instructed readers on how to dress up as Anna Delvey for Halloween. Weird. And if you want to know what it was, even though Halloween has come and gone, you need to wear a plunging black dress, thick black rimmed glasses, and a black choker, which was an outfit that Anna wore during trial. I see it right now. I'm looking on Are you on looking the, at it? Yeah. Um, But Anna still seemed to have like some ability, like some power from prison. So she's posting from Instagram. You're not supposed to be able to do that in prison, you guys. You don't have a phone. Your web access is like monitored and you're just not allowed to be like all up on Instagram. She's also posting blogs to her website, which was called AnnaDelvyDiaries.com, which no longer exists. But at the time she was posting blog posts and she was bragging about doing tons of yoga in jail and then she's writing open letters to Donald Trump and Harvey Weinstein about the nature of fame. Oi. So she, Oy according to right. several, according to, I got so much of this information I just want to mention right now from the podcast Kim, Criminal Broads, uh, which is hosted by Tori Telfer, who's also an author who wrote a book on female con artists. She didn't actually write about Anna in her book, but she she's a published author. And her, Fascinating. Her podcast is actually pretty badass. It's called Criminal Broads, about women who end up on the wrong side of the law. Um, but she said in her podcast, she comes across as irritating and smart, narcissistic, but self-aware about it. She has tons of haters, but she also has tons of fans. Fans would send her letters, chocolate, caviar, and fancy lace underwear. <laughs> And then in February of 2021, she's released from prison early on parole for good behavior. So remember February 2021? Not so long ago. Yeah. We're like in a COVID still world. Um, And she bursts out of prison with a new Twitter handle where she posted that she wrote better from she wrote better things like from prison 
then um, these bitches who have 50 editors, I'm assuming she's referring to Rachel, who did write, who wasn't a writer, but penned an article for Vanity Fair. So I write better from prison than these bitches who have 50 editors. She had a brand new wardrobe from Netta Porter or Netta Porte. Yeah. I don't know how you say that, that she had bought with some of the leftover Netflix money. She changed her Instagram handle to Anadelvi 2.0, and she boasted of plans to launch a fashion line called The Correction Collection, which I die for. <laughs> oh my, <laughs> that's that's an amazing really name. fucking funny. But then on March 25th, after going, like coming out of jail and like bursting back into the Manhattan scene, yeah. she's, de- she's basically doing like a press tour. Um, but then about a month and a half later, March 25th of 2021, Ice is like, Yo, your visa's expired. We got to deport you. So yeah, while being held, uh, while being held to be uh, for, for the judge to determine if she should be deported back to Germany, the immigration judge dis, um, determines that based on her lack of remorse, everything that she's been doing since she's been out of jail, like running around New York, telling people how stupid they are and how <laughs> smart she is. And, you know, like all this stuff proves that uh, she has zero remorse for the crime that she committed and that her parole should be revoked and that she needs to spend more time in jail. And that is where she remains to this day. It, it's she, still 2021. She's still in prison. In the U.S.? Um, in the U.S., I think that the deportation process basically is going to be paused until she's released from her sentence here. So the way I, the way I believe that works is that picked up by ICE, right? The judge is going over like her case and is like, wait, before we deport you, I think you got to finish your sentence because clearly getting out after two years or a, a little under two years or whatever it was, wasn't quite enough. And you obviously don't feel bad and you'd probably most definitely do it again. I believe that he described her as a uh, danger to others, you know, like yeah. she would totally rob, rip people off. So the thing that that made me want to connect this to while you were sleeping was not only the idea of like. A kind of like, kind of folk, folksy, folk hero-y con artist that's a woman, but also the parallels between like this lonely woman that only knows how to get friends by pretending to have money and status and she doesn't really have any friends and it made me think of Lucy who was lonely enough to con a poor family into believing she was marrying their comatose son. (laughs) So that's my tie-in. I think that is amazing. This story is bonkers. That woman is so nuts. And how excited are you? How excited are you for the Shonda Rhimes show about this? I'm so excited. And it's Julia Gardner, right? Yes, who I love. Do you watch Ozark, listeners? Um, I have watched If you watch Ozark, yeah. She's the, um, like, the young curly-haired blonde girl that's, like, Jason Bateman kind of takes her under his wing after she tries to rob him. He's like, no, I'll just bring you into the fold. But she's brilliant. And she was in Dirty John. And you know what else? I was in a movie with her. I played a very (gasps) small part. Um, It's called We Are What We Are. And it's a horror movie about cannibalism. I didn't. I didn't know that. I know about that movie, but I don't think I never. I don't know if I realized that Julia Garner was in it. Oh, yeah. She was younger. She one of the daughters? She's one of the daughters, yeah. Wow. I played the secretary. If you really, I'm sure you're very interested. I played the secretary at the police uh, station. Everybody check it out. What's it called again? 
What's it called we again? We are what we are. And I have one line. Everybody go watch. Yeah. What is it? Give it to us. Um, well, I'm, you know, I, it's like late hours and it's things are about to heat up. The guy who's like investigating comes in with his dog and I'm putting on lipstick and I'm like, his name's Doc. I'm like, hey, Doc. And I got, I'm like putting on lipstick. I'm like, hey, Doc. <laughs> That's what I do. And then I pet a dog. Amazing. Everybody <sighs> check that out. <laughs> no, but she honestly, she really is the sweetest person in the world. And I think she's such a good actress. So I really look forward to watching her play this clearly complicated, interesting, obviously smart, but also diabolical lady. Yeah. And you know, I think Anna Delvey. It's so crazy. I think about New York and I, you know, worked like in basically like luxury retail. You know what I mean? But it's like you do see these people where you're kind of you just sort of believe everything that comes out of their mouths. They're rich people. They're. And she just, she was convincing enough. She knew enough of the right people. They say that it all really started with that internship at that magazine in Paris. Purple, Purple, because she did work there. So she befriended a lot of the high, I mean, a lot of the higher ups within the company who were legit big deals in the fashion, art, and culture worlds. And so the fact that she's got like selfies with them on Instagram, like proved to people that maybe would have questioned it. I expected her to look differently. Like when I, when you look at her, she kind of looks like, a little dowdy. Well, that's the thing that a lot of people say is, well, she's just like a normal looking girl. Yeah. And she told everyone she was a German heiress, but she couldn't really speak German, as I mentioned. And yeah. that was something that people recalled kind of after the fact. She wasn't not beautiful, but she wasn't super beautiful. She was kind of a normal looking girl with a strange, unidentifiable accent. But she had like, she had the right affect about her. Yeah. And it's so interesting. I think it it says a lot about uh, just about people in general that I don't know if this is only about rich people, you know, but like, why would you lie? Yeah. You know, like, why would you think you could lie to us? And so they believed her because there are, you know, a bunch of trust fund brats. And there there are. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so like she just she picked up on something she was bearing witness to as a little lowly little intern and she manipulated that shit into hundreds of thousands of dollars a, a fucking fun sounding new york lifestyle just like lavish meals and Jealous. spa treatment i know i was like i wish I'm, but but then again no i'm not because i had the best time in new york and i had the best so did friends. i and i me too we were there together yeah. <laughs> and i never scammed anyone out of any money Mm-mm. No hotels are coming after me for unpaid bills. You know what I mean? So, and you can still have fun in New York. It's true. You really can. Good one. Love it. Hey, (laughs) guys. Thank you so much for listening. Yes. We will talk to you next week. We got a really fun one. Oh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Bye. Special thanks and with support from Connected Podcast Network. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Rom Crime. If you did like it, please rate, review, and subscribe, all those good things, and share it with a friend who you think might be into the rom-com true crime genre that we're dipping our toes into. Follow us on all social platforms at Rom Crime. We'll see you next week with another Rom Crime with Avern and Vanya. Produced, directed, edited, and researched by us. Till next week.